You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Welcome back to the Fair Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today's guest has a pedigree in the fair industry. The daughter of a 35-year veteran concessionaire, she grew up attending fairs and then ultimately working in fairs, having joined the team at the Sonoma Marin Fair, the Lake County Fair in California, and she's now the head of the Wyoming State Fair, where against all odds this year, they managed to have a fair. Her leadership helped guide them to not only have a fair, but I understand break some records in the process. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Miss Courtney Conkle. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for the heck of an introduction. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> right. We like to make our guests feel like rock stars on this show. Um, so, Courtney, your dad's been involved in the uh, the industry for about 35 years as a concessionaire. Yeah. So he started his own business 35 years ago and got on the road, started routing his own stuff. But he joined the industry when he was 18 um, from the carnival sector. And the deal was with his family that he had to get his business degree before they would sign off on him joining the industry full time. So he went ahead and um, puttered around down south for a while, wrapped up college, and then hit the ground running as soon as he graduated school and went into the industry full force. So this would have been his 35th season on the road. So he's hoping that 2021, he gets to to hit 35. Officially do the 35, yeah. for sure. I hear you on that. Now, did uh, his, his uh, life in the industry have just maybe a little bit of influence on you getting involved in the fairs? Maybe a dash. Oh, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely in my blood. And um, my great uncle is the one that brought my dad into the industry. And his name was Lloyd. And he did admissions at Orange County Fair for about 20 years when my dad was growing up. So we are definitely a third generation fair family. And even if we wanted to, I don't think that we'd be able to get out at this point. We're we're pretty ingrained, and it's definitely in our blood. Oh, for sure. Now, you're in Wyoming now, but you do understand you grew up in California? Yeah. So um, my mom went into labor at the Santa Cruz County Fair. And so <laughs> we talked a lot about, you know, being born into the industry. I think we hear that terminology a lot throughout all the different sectors. We have, um, we're but lucky that- You literally were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty close call. So we made it to the hospital, but um, my first night on earth was at a fair. And I think that um, I just couldn't shake it after that. So I grew up going to about 30 fairs a year with my family. And when I was probably 15 or 16, I realized that I wanted to be a fair manager. And that's, that's really where I wanted my future career to take me. And now you're at the Wyoming State Fair now. Um, where in Wyoming is that fair located? So we are on the eastern side in beautiful Douglas, Wyoming. So we're located pretty centrally between the two largest cities on this side of the state, which are Douglas or Casper and Cheyenne. Douglas is right smack about 45 minutes from Casper and about an hour and 40 minutes from Cheyenne. So we're able to pull from some larger city bases. And, and tell us a little bit about your fair. When does it run? Uh, what's your typical attendance look like? So we are traditionally the second week in August. We are a really cool campus here. We're 118 acres with about 60 structures, uh, very beautiful fairgrounds, very cool history and heritage. 
the fair property was actually deeded by five families that came together to make sure that Wyoming could have a state fair back 109 years ago. And our general attendance runs about 60 to 90,000. There's a pretty big fluctuation. Um, a lot of that has to do with the algorithm of how we have been counting attendance and how accurate we've been. So we'll be cleaning that up in the next few years also. So that way we can have some accurate data. Yeah, data that any more, I think in the, uh, from about probably, you know, 2010 on as we've begun to have the technology to really accurately count data and know where people are coming from, that becomes more and more important. Now, do you guys only produce the fair or are you a year round event space? We are a year round event space and we are definitely working on growing that. We've actually, um, like you said in the intro, against all odds, we've actually seen quite a bit of growth this year in our interim base, which is just wild to me. So we, right now, as things sit, we produce about, um, host and produce about 200 events throughout the year with our premier event being the annual fair. So you do all these different events and then March, 2020 rolls around. And this is how kind of every episode I've been framing it. And I think it's, it's a real reality for all of us that um, March 11th, you know, World Health designated this as officially as a global pandemic. But the big thing for us in the industry was that was the day Houston Livestock Show canceled. And I think for a lot of us, the eye opener that if one of the largest, if not the, you know, the premier event in the fair industry cancels, take us back to that moment. What are you thinking when you find out that Houston's pulled the plug? So... I was actually heading back to California to go see some family that, that same week that everything transpired. And so on the 14th, I was sitting in Denver and me and my dad were flying back to California together and we're having this conversation about what does this mean? What's the ripple effect of this for the industry? Because at that point, everything was still so new. We really didn't know what the next few months were going to look like. And I told him then and there, I said, if I were going to bet on this, I think from a geographical standpoint, an attendance standpoint, and with the potential for case fluctuations and increases, if there's one state here that's going to happen, I think it's going to be Wyoming. And so I ended up having um, dinner a couple of days later up in Northern California with an industry colleague. And we were talking about, you know, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? Because we're in very different climates as far as the size and scope of our events that we produce and he told me he said I don't think we're having our fair and I said I think I'm going to have mine you know and at that point in time that's a pretty pretty ballsy statement to make because we just Huge. don't know what we're dealing with and so the next few weeks after that when we started really realizing that this is going to get a heck of a lot worse before we see any of it getting better um our team here at Wyoming, we started working on our sort of attempt at having the closest thing to a traditional fair that we can have all the way running the gamut from fully functioning fair to something that doesn't look anything like a traditional fair, but that we can still meet our statutory requirements to, to have a fair. Yeah. So and we the have year quite a few renditions. Yeah. The year rolls on. Um, you know, like you say, you keep in touch with your colleagues throughout the industry and you start seeing dominoes falling all around you. Fairs that, you know, I think from Houston on, fairs that we th thought sure were safe bets all of a sudden were off. Um, and as those dominoes started falling, 
that landscape changed really rapidly. I mean, there were days that CDC was saying one thing and literally the next day or two days later, they were saying the opposite. Eventually, every all of us in the in the in the industry as fairs, you all had to make a decision. And the decision was, do we have the fair or do we cancel? Um, take us a little bit through that decision making process. So I mean, I talk a lot about like the hierarchy of needs, and I think that the hierarchy of needs at a fair of any size, any scope, it really does need to be that your baseline is the health and safety of your staff, of your guests, of your exhibitors. And then a close second, though, is your financial stability. And so one of the things that we talked a lot about here and that we talked a lot to our county fair peers about was, you know, these choices might not be the same for even your neighbor fair because it might be having to be made from a different standpoint. We're gonna have to look at the health and safety of this and be sensitive to the communities that we serve. If you don't have a single case and it's predominantly a, a county event, you're probably in a little bit of a safer region than um, some of our fairs that really had to adapt throughout the state of Wyoming that had huge case counts per capita compared to the rest of the state. And then also the financial aspect is some of these fairs, it wouldn't have been responsible to have their event in full force, even if they could have pulled it off from a health and safety standpoint. So a lot of our modeling was based around, yes, absolutely health and safety, but also financial viability, because we, we need to be good stewards of, of this organization. And I wouldn't be a good steward if I put us in financial jeopardy trying to have our premier event. Sure. So those were the two big things that we really looked at a lot as we um, talk through, not if we're going to do something, but what are we gonna do? And what is the most responsible thing for us to do? So we started that planning pretty full force on March 17th. And as I joke that it was my second job because I would, I would work my regular job and we were operating business as usual as far as planning to have the fair. And then at about 4 p.m. every day, I would switch over and it would be just COVID planning. And what are our options here? What could this look like? What does this need to look like? And then the financial modeling in itself was just, a, a, I mean, pretty much a nightmare because you, ha you have no idea. This is completely uncharted territory. Yeah. Yeah. At least one of the fairs that, um, that I was contracted with to go do the, uh, our, our game exhibit this year, um, when they ended up pulling the plug, it, their state is opened. Um, but they were doing their modeling and they were looking at, you know, 50% attendance as a best case scenario. And even then they were looking at losing hundreds of thousands. And so they just made the decision based on that alone. It wasn't even COVID. It was, you know, let's take this budget, roll it over for next year, because, you know, God knows if this is still going on next year, better to uh, roll that budget over and, and offset the loss than just completely take it um, this year. So almost everyone I've spoken to has had to cancel um, as far as fares go. And they were real open with sharing their feelings in the aftermath of their decision to cancel. You're a curious case because you were one of the few that decided to go for it. Um, so you decided to move forward and stay open and, and have your fare. What kind of emotions and feelings are you having at that point? Because for a lot of other people, you know, they were really grieving and yet you decide we're going full force. What, what are you feeling at that point? Yeah. I mean, it, it's been a lot of different things and during the fair. So I'll back up a minute. Um, 
So we started our planning of our contingency plans back in March. And so we worked the uh, last part of March, all of April, all of May, up until June 9th. And June 9th was our first board meeting that we had since the beginning of the pandemic. And so we meet quarterly. It's a statutory appointed board by the governor's office. And so we don't meet frequently. And so a ton had changed between our, our past meeting in April and our last scheduled meeting before the fair in June. June was when we took it to a roll call vote. And I am a big believer that this is a public service position. This is, I'm appointed by the governor. This is a political position. Um, I serve the majority of my board and we went in that day and I said, I, I, here's the options. Here's the statistical data. Here's our square footage. Here's what we could do as far as um, preparing. Cause we budgeted for a 40% downturn in attendance. And that was about what we were seeing as far as bell curve stats on um, events that were taking place, which was pretty limited data anyway. And so when we opened it up as a roll call vote, we have the, the blessing of having a very diverse and dynamic board. And so I felt like there was gonna be um, some debate and that's healthy. I think debate is healthy and there was some and it ended up being a unanimous vote to move forward and have the fair. So we did not have a single person and we're working with such different data though in Wyoming, especially then, especially at that point in time, because really in some ways we're having compared per capita to the rest of the country right now, we're having statistically our first true case spike. We had a, you know, a, a spike at the beginning when we were getting our first confirmed cases here in April. We didn't have our first confirmed case until early April in Wyoming. And so we are just a little bit behind the rest of the curve anyway. And I think that if that had been different, it wouldn't have made sense. And we were tracking the lab confirmed cases every day. We were we were plotting everything. So, I mean, we had all of the data, like we, we were working hand in hand with our county health doctors, with state epidemiology, with the governor's office and with our board every day, just to make sure that if things were going to change that we were ready to change those things. We worked with the attorney general's office to change our force majeure language, like just these big things that bought us that much more time. Once that decision was made and you guys went for it, did you ever get nervous or second guess the decision thinking what happens if we have this event and there's 800 cases, a thousand cases that come out of this event? Absolutely. And, um, we use the term in our office as we were planning for this um, responsible. At what point does this become irresponsible? And when we get to that point, we pull the plug. But we have a responsibility to the state, a responsibility to the ag communities that we serve, and we have a responsibility to be an economic driver throughout the state of Wyoming. Those three things don't always coexist. So we know that agriculture is an essential industry. Ag doesn't get the opportunity to shut down. And so we felt like it was critical that we keep every agricultural component here taking place at the fair. We also believe strongly in the contributions that we make as an event to this economy. And 
our economy has been suffering. We've, we've gone through a bust in the past six months, and it's important that we do anything and everything we can to help stabilize that economy bust. So we were watching everything very closely. We were making a, a lot of changes. Our health plan that ended up getting um, approved for our variance exception was in its 17th rendition by the time it got approved. So we were definitely continuing to adapt, but I mean, from the moment the fair opened until 14 days, the 14 day incubation period after the fair closed, we were holding our breath. I mean, the, the 14 days post fair was probably the most stressful part of this entire process because we're watching that incubation period and we're hoping and praying that there's not a case cluster that gets traced back to the fair. And we're hoping and praying that there's not a case cluster that could even be potentially affiliated with the fair. Sure. And then- so, so How we, did that work out? Did you have a cluster or no? No. So this is actually like the, the most amazing thing for me and my kind of favorite part of the story. We did a lot as far as precautions and planning. And you can only plan so much when we're talking live event because yep. people are- it's human nature to slip back into what's comfortable. And when you're creating an environment that has much more normalcy than the other things that we're seeing this year in 2020, um, we were nervous that everyone was gonna slide back into how it felt in 2019 and, and before pre-COVID. So we got all the contact tracing results back post-fair. There was not a single case traced back to the Wyoming State Fair but then the really big thing for me, because I've been like, you know, like plotting all of the data points for every day from March until, well, I still do it. I'm not as um, ingrained in it now, but the lab confirmed cases per day, the 30 day data set from before the fair versus from opening day of the fair until 14 days after. So that incubation period, so the high risk period from August 7th until August, we closed on the 15th, so it would have been the 29th. Uh, the lab confirmed cases per day declined from pre-fair. So we- That had to be uh, a huge sigh of relief. You know, we never want to have blood on our hands. And anytime that you're a fair manager, and unfortunately, um, I, I'm very lucky. I have, I have not, um, as a CEO, had fatalities on my facility yet. And I hope that I never do, but we know that when we get this many people together and we're doing sometimes high risk activities, uh, motorized sporting events, rodeo, these things that are quote unquote hazardous events, um, sometimes people do get hurt and sometimes right. people, people get hurt just on a trip and fall because we're right. usually working with older facilities. You know, fairs are an interesting thing because it's an event and anything can happen. We never want it to. You know, it's no like, different than Disney yeah. World. I mean, it's. But we were very relieved. Well, and, and we, you know, uh, you know how the media is. We see it over and over again. You didn't even have to have a cluster come from the fair. You could have just had a random spike that was from a, a, a dairy farm or a, a manufacturer nearby. But if it happens in the 14 days after the fair, they're going to point fingers at you. Even if they trace not a single case, it's no different like. And fair managers, you guys all over the country have had to deal with this where, you know, it's Friday afternoon at the fair, you're gearing up for your biggest Friday night, and there's a shooting 
three blocks away. And what's the media say? Just down the street from the fairgrounds, there was a shooting. It's like, we understand, I understand they, they're trying to give some sort of geographic identifier, but why do they have to give identify the fairgrounds? Because then people only hear two words, shooting and fairgrounds. You know, It's no different with you guys. Had you had cases, they would have heard fairgrounds or, or Wyoming State Fair and cases, and that's they would have thought it was on you. Yep, exactly. I'm very glad that it worked out that way for you. And apparently you guys uh, put up some pretty solid numbers during that fair. Did I read on Facebook? You had some records. I see you smiling. So you're ready to talk about this one. We are having an anomaly of a year. I think 2020 is just an anomaly in itself, but the Wyoming state fair, we're, I don't know, we're using up all of our luck, which is kind of (laughs) scary, but um I think that our community, I think the state of Wyoming is very supportive of our agricultural heritage and they want to celebrate ag and we want to create something that we can all take pride in, which is really exciting. And I think that everyone was just ready to to have a little bit of normal back. And we were all ready to make the sacrifices to come and enjoy an event that we know isn't going to look 100% the same as 2019, but we're just happy we get to be here. And so the outpouring of support was just, just incredible. You know, I'm used to as a CEO getting yelled at a lot during the fair for the stupidest things you could possibly imagine. And this year was really interesting because we had people coming up and thanking our team for just making the steps forward to produce this event this year. So our admissions revenues, and I think I mentioned that we had budgeted to be down to see a a 40% decrease in our admissions revenues. we saw a 129.3% increase in our admissions revenues in 2020. So that was big. Yeah. 29%. And were you operating at full capacity for the fair or were you at like, were you limited on what you could, on the attendance you could have? So what we went ahead and did, um, we built the algorithm out to accommodate for social distancing. The population of Wyoming is about 590,000. At any given time with the ability to social distance, we can fit about 144,000 people on our fairgrounds with social distancing. So we have the acreage to accommodate a very large percentage of our state population. So we never even got near what that, that occupancy capacity would look like with social distancing in place. Um, we were we were super lucky. The only area that we had to really be super mindful about and um, track closely was our grandstand events because they are paid events. And we were able to safely fit 3000 people into the grandstands, which is 50% total capacity. And there was only one night that we got close to that and we ended up pulling early and allowing about 2,500 people in there just because it was starting to look a little crowded and we didn't want, we never wanted to look like we were being disrespectful of the health and life safety of our fairgoers. Yeah. Optics matter. And so that was probably a really, a really wise choice. Clearly you guys have done endless, like so many other fairs, endless planning um, to try to make sure something happens and whatever happens is, is safe for the community. Um, you know, I, I like that you uh, refer to that hierarchy of needs. My wife being an assistant principal and, and longtime teacher and educator, 
she refers to that hierarchy of needs all the time. You know, when you've got kids coming into school and whether or not they're able and capable of learning, first thing, are they safe? Do they feel safe? And that may have nothing to do with the school. It, it, it's spillover in their case for the kids. Do they feel safe coming from home? Is there a safety issue there? And um, I, I admire the fact that you, you focused on that from the get. Thank you. And that we talked about that a lot too, is, you know, if we're going to do the fair, I don't want the fair to feel scary. Yeah. We have to be mindful about that and we can do so much behind the scenes and I can do so much pre-fair to help us prepare for this, but I don't want a young family coming to the fair and feeling afraid to be here. Like there's something to be scared of on this fairgrounds. And that's from a security standpoint, that's from a COVID standpoint. I think anytime it's that fine line between having a presence, making people feel safe and like there's um, resources available if needed, but being very mindful about the guest experience. Yeah. You want to talk about, you know, mindful of the guest experience. I share this story um, a lot with other uh, fair managers and fair folks I talk to uh, probably 10 years ago by now, um, New Mexico State Fair got a new manager, um, Dan Morning. And when Dan came in, he kind of, you know, he spends that first year or so watching and seeing what's going on with the fair. And he realized, and this is through no fault really of their own, that one of the things, of course, our fairgrounds in New Mexico, here in Albuquerque is in um, an area of town that, you know, affectionately is known as the war zone. And uh, he knew that and he knew what the area was. He, he wasn't going to try and sugarcoat it, but he found through no fault of their own, really, that the scariest thing at the fairgrounds for a long time was the police department, was New Mexico State Police and Albuquerque Police. And not, not that they were doing anything wrong, but they're rolling in and they're wearing their, you know, their, uh, you know, their battle gear what you know with they're looking very militarized and uh he in they're doing it because they want to make sure people are safe i mean there's gang activity and things that has happened at the fair in the past so dan kind of pulls him aside one day he tells the story and says you know he's talking to their their chief or their lieutenant whoever's running the show and says hey if we were to get you guys some some you know police department new mexico state fair polos would you guys, do you think you'd be more comfortable wearing those? And then maybe instead of walking down the main street and eight or nine of you in this large, you know, group, you know, split it up and, and, and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. That's fine. And so he switched from having a police model that looked like, you know, the gang units rolling down the street, ready to rock and roll. Now he's got New Mexico state police officers at the gate, handing out New Mexico state fair stickers to kids. Yeah. And it changed the entire atmosphere. People felt safer. So yeah. it's, it's thinking. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. The optics of what our, our law enforcement, you know, you, you talk about, we want it to be safe, but, and we always assume, well, police officers are there to keep us safe and make sure if things get crazy, they can step in. But when they're walking around with, you know, almost, I don't want to say it was right gear. It's, you know, it's, they have their vests and their fatigues or whatever on, and they're looking yeah. pretty serious it changes things when they're walking around and now they are part of the guest experience. They're taking pictures with all of a sudden over the course of a couple of years, families started taking pictures with New Mexico state police and stickers for the kids. And then when they had to respond to something, they were still ready to go, but they didn't look scary. Cause like you say, for a young family coming into the fair, 
if they walking down the street and all of a sudden they go, man, why are all these cops around with all this heavy gear? That's, there must be something wrong with that. And so Dan did a great job there. And, and clearly you guys have, you know, the safety of your guests in mind. When it comes to young families, though, let's just say a young family has moved into your area. They want to come to the Wyoming State Fair for the first time on a typical year, on a non-COVID year. If they were to call you and say, you know, Courtney, we're, we're brand new to the area. We want to come to the fair. What should we do? What do you recommend to them? That's a good question. And this was um, my first year here and we made a lot of changes. And we are probably in about year three or four of our like 10 year trajectory that we were originally planning because this gave us a chance to fast track some stuff. So we really did a great job. We brought um, the source management group on and we really tried to diversify our entertainment lineup. And so there's a fantastic lineup of all free family friendly entertainment at the Wyoming State Fair. So we had Canine Kings and we had a lot of live music. We had Michael Mesmer here and we were able to do a full lineup of all of our scheduled livestock shows. And then we saw a huge increase in our open show participation. So really there's so much to see and do here. There's great food, great shopping. And we really tried to take this year as an opportunity to sort of spread that out and level everything up. So if you were coming this year in 2020 was your first year attending, you still had the opportunity to enjoy every aspect of our traditional fair. It was just um, a little bit more mindful as far as layout, making sure that everybody had ample space. So it wouldn't feel quite as crowded, even though we had more people here, obviously. Um, it felt like there was plenty of room to spread out and enjoy your time here safely. Good. Is there a, is there a food item that's like, that is the Wyoming state for a food item? There is not currently, and we are working on it. So we have, um, I call him our focus group. One of our staff members has a nine-year-old son. He just turned nine. And so he's been tasked with creating what that product should be. And so he's been working on um, something called the Cowboy Burger. So hopefully we can work with Rotary and actually premiere that. And I think that that's pretty fun to, to get all of our generations involved. And he's a good focus group. So oh, I dig it. I dig it. And so you are planning for, you know, food planning for the future. And, and obviously, hopefully by the time 2021 rolls around, we have this pandemic behind us, but there's still a very real opportunity or possibility that you might have a completely full and functioning fair. You might have to have an adapted fair of some kind, or God forbid, you might end up canceling. Regardless of what happens, you're still in 2020 right now in the middle of a pandemic. How do you plan for 21 from this kind of, uh, this kind of area? That is such a good question. I think that we're at a much better jumping off point much earlier than we were with the pandemic in 2020. Um, so much of our health and safety plan is pretty utilitarian. And there's a lot of things that we'll probably keep in place even hopefully post pandemic. So if we're completely out of the woods by the time that we roll into opening day on August 17th of 2021, there's still certain protocol that I think that we'll, we'll keep in place now um, just because I think it actually elevated the guest experience anyway, and it made people feel safe. And I think we'll all be mindful about space and social distancing and sanitation a little bit more so post COVID than we, than we were, you know, in America pre-March of 2020. 
Do you feel like looking back now that um, we took as Americans that we kind of got a little soft and we took a lot for granted before this hit? Um, I just keep, I see like everything popping back up on my feed from last year and, and on my socials and everybody saying like, can't wait for 2020, like good riddance 2019. And now it's like, those were the good old days when I could go to a concert and, you know, not, not wear a mask in the mall and go to the movie theater. You know, I don't think we ever realized how good we have it when we have it. And I, I think I like the Macklemore song, um, good old days. It's like, so sad that all of the things that we were complaining about that seemed so large scale in 2019 um now in hindsight or and of course hindsight is 2020 um who would have been able to imagine this i don't think any of us realized how much we were taking for granted well and i just wonder you know there's that scene in uh in episode one of star wars i know it wasn't really a, a popular one but there's a scene where they're in the submersible and um Qui-Gon says to Jar Jar, there's always a bigger fish. And I just wonder how many of us are, are showing gratitude and being grateful for this year because God forbid there's a bigger year out there that we look back one day and go, man, 2020 was easy, you know? Well, and I think that's, that's the scary thing too. And like, um, I've been comparing this to the, um, the influenza pandemic since we started really getting things rolling in like March, April. And the second wave, nobody could have prepared for that. Like, I, I think that, you know, everybody was out celebrating in the streets and then it got bad. And so- Is that 1918 you're talking about, about the original one? Yeah, it was really, I mean, it was just a catastrophe. And so there's a lot of me that even in these conversations that I have with my family, with my friends of, oh, we can't wait for 2021. Things just need to be over. 2020 needs to go away. It's like, we really don't know what's around the corner. Yeah, and this virus that, doesn't have a calendar. It doesn't roll over to January 1st and go, all right, guys, I'm done. Well, and what's the end game? And that's one thing that me and my assistant manager we were talking about today is what are we working towards right now? Because if we're working towards a vaccination, yeah, maybe we'll we'll see that in the next year. If it is really fast tracked, that'd be great. But is that the end game? Because we're, I mean, we haven't even fully eradicated polo, polio yet. Like there's a, there's a lot going on here. Well, and so, for all the talk of people saying, oh, we need a vaccine, you know, and you hear government officials, I think even maybe it was your governor, it's either you got your governor or no, California's governor or Cuomo in New York said, we're not reopening until there's a vaccine. And yet, oh, like, yeah, it was California. Yeah, it's Newsom. And so I say, but slam on the brakes there, dude, because science has been studying coronaviruses for like 80 years and there are zero vaccines for any of them. Common cold is effectively a coronavirus no vaccine so i this whole you know trump fast track in the government says cdc oh we'll fast track. i don't see it happening i think we might get some therapeutics but I, yeah. we're going to be living with this for a while and one of my other guests brought up and i didn't realize this during the 1918 pandemic um they ended up because of that second spike they ended up wearing being masked for three years it was the end of 21 1921 before it really finally gave up and I don't know that the American people are ready for that. Well, and also like the scary thing, because me and Reba were debating today about um, about herd immunity and influenza, you have notable herd immunity. Right now, we don't know enough about COVID-19, but traditionally in coronavirus, you don't develop herd immunity the way that you do. And so until we have stronger data on that front, it's really hard to say definitively, 
what's going to work and what isn't. So we're just trying to enjoy every day and count our blessings and um, really revel in the fact that we were able to have our 2020 fair. I think I am hopeful that we'll be able to have 2021 and that it, it'll be an even smoother run than this year. Sure. Um, but nothing's guaranteed, you know, so we're, we're just it's, trying to really uh, count our blessings. Yeah, it's not. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Cause you know, this year has been a struggle for a lot of people. Um, what do you think that we can do not only collectively as an industry, but as individuals to help support people in this industry and, and, you know, help give encouragement to our fair family. I think so much of it as we move into what we traditionally, what I traditionally view as my convention season. And I think so many of us are, are going to feel that impact. And I think that there's a lot of people that even if hopefully we're able to start a more traditional convention season in 2021, um, the financial ripple effect of that is going to be huge. I think that there's going to be a lot of our partners that might not be able to afford to come and participate even next year. And so camaraderie, any way that you can build that camaraderie, maintain those relationships. We don't have the built-in networking this year. It won't be the same. I think that uh, organizations like IAFE are doing a great job of figuring out attempts and also acknowledging that it's not going to ever replace the real thing, just like how so many of our partners that did virtual fairs, it will always be an inferior product because it's not the in-person camaraderie that we need as, as humans. I mean, we, we have to be able to, um, to socialize and to interact. And so whatever individuals can do to sort of not only maintain, but foster their network of fair family, that's going to be important. And bless you, and that'll be important for the resilience of every sector of the industry. Because I think that, I mean, off season can be sort of a, a interesting isolation period anyway, when we're used to being so on and seeing so many of our fair friends and and being out there and being and going and keeping that that forward momentum. And then you go into this sort of off season rehab period for a few months. We're not used to doing that for two years. I mean, really and truly, it's going to be a full, over a full year for associate members and service members to lose that forward momentum potentially. Yeah. I mean, I think we get it back at some point, but certainly it's, it's right now when you're in the middle of it, it, it feels like there's a very uncertain future. Um, and I know that one of the real key things for this year for me has been reaching out to other performers other fair managers ask how asking how they're doing and checking on them. Um, especially for a lot of these performers who, you know, I'm very lucky. I've got, you know, I've been married for 15 years. I've got a great nine year old son. So I have some, some, there's some social with me, you know, there's some family with me. A lot of these performers are rolling solo and doing their thing and they're happy doing it. And then 2020 hit. So I think checking on people make picking up that phone call or your phone or making a text message, I know you were one of the first fair managers to reach out to me and say, you know, just, you know, how are you doing? You felt like at that point, you know, the bigger fair is probably going to be okay. And the, you know, the concessionaires are gritty. They'll figure out a way, but it's easy to forget the entertainers in the middle of all this. And um, I just want you to know, I appreciate more than you can, more than I can say that you reached out to me out of nowhere, just to check on me at that point, nobody had really done it. Not that it's anybody's responsibility, but it was, that first moment that I went, it really felt nice to have someone from the industry reach out and go, Hey, we're all getting kicked in the face. How are you? Yeah. Yeah. You good. 
I can't do anything, but like, I wish I could change this, but I just want to make sure we're but, all still breathing. But you did do something, you know, and you know, for me, I'm in, I'm good, but you never know when that phone call does something that um, changes the course for somebody that, you know, if they're getting into a place where they're in a really dark spot, finding out that someone is still out there and cares about them can make a difference. So is there anything you've learned about yourself through 2020? I'm a lot more of a scrapper than I thought I was. Uh, I, I We had a lot of opportunity here where I think that we could have canceled the Wyoming State Fair and nobody would have thought less of our team. And I was brand new. This organization is getting where it needs to go. But we were... Uh, the Wyoming State Fair is very interesting because I truly like wholeheartedly believe that we haven't entered our golden age. And for most fairs, I, I wouldn't be able to take over the reins of an organization and say that in good faith. But we have so much potential here that is just untapped. It would have been really, in some ways, really nice to take a year and get our team on track. We're operating at 100% administrative turnover since I was hired. So we, we have a brand new team. And we had two pretty critical key members of our team quit because I, I think that they were ready to be done, but I think that they realized that we were gonna have to do a lot of work to do this. And sure. this is not the faint of heart. And we have had to rebuild and we've gotten through this year. And I mean, I know I'm, I'm resilient, but we could not have done this without our group. And everyone has been so on the same page every step of the way with making, making this a priority and realizing how important and how critical this was for so many people throughout the entire state and throughout the industry too. I mean, we had a lot of partners come on board that for a lot of them, it was their first and only fair of the season. And that was, that was big. And that was heartbreaking to be a part of, but it was also, um, it sort of felt, um, like a utopia during fair time because we were all so grateful and we realized how many times we've taken advantage of the fact that we could just drive a couple hours and go see a fair and be in that environment. And so we realized that we have, um, a lot to give back to the industry and to the organization that I'm lucky enough to steward more than I think we realized going into 2020. Yeah. So, I mean, you're one of the youngest fair managers, I think in the country. Um, what advice do you have for a young team like this, like, or other young professionals in the industry around the, the events of 2020 in a very uncertain future right now? I think one of the interesting things right now is the ability to make those changes, to adapt your fare, to bring it into the future. Um, for anybody that's been resistant to maybe switching your media up a little bit, not because we've had to be really careful about uh, traditional media this year, just with not knowing if we were going to end up having the fare or not. So we had to really diversify our marketing plan. Um, COVID is not good. I don't think we have to tell anybody that we all know, but there's some silver linings that you can use to propel your organization forward. Uh, for the first time in our history of the Wyoming State Fair, we experimented with walk beer, like walk around beer sales, open carry. We have historically been um, a beer garden fair, and it was very much a health and safety catalyst 
because we couldn't in good faith have a bar-like environment and have people closely congregating, our net profitability was increased by 360%. So you use this as your stepping stone. Yeah. And I think that unfortunately there's going to be a lot of turnover. I think that there's going to be a lot of fairs where maybe it's people that are close to retirement and they're going to wait until their fairs are back on their feet. But this year has taken a lot out of everybody in every sector. Um, but I think that there's going to be some great opportunities available and don't be afraid to go for them. I agree with that. And I think in speaking to some other fair managers from around the country, um, one thing that seems to be kind of nice is that if you're at a fair, and I think this is easy for any fair or any business, it's really easy to get caught in the whole, well, we've always done it that way mentality. Well, you know, you get a young fair manager like you that comes in and it's could be easier for a board to be like, well, no, hold on. We've always done things that way. And I don't know if that's how your board is, but you're in a position now where it doesn't matter what you've always done. Now you've got mandates and, and dictates coming down from the CDC and world health and your governor and your County. And you may have to get real innovative real quick. So maybe that, instead of looking at that for some fairs, looking at that as, Oh, you know, we got our butts kicked this year. Maybe that's the opportunity they needed to develop a program that over the next three years ultimately increases attendance by 28%. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I mean, people don't question change when the pandemic's going on. I mean, we all just, we go with it at this point. Yep. And people are so grateful to go to something, anything, that this is the opportunity. Uh, and I hope we never see this opportunity again to make this amount of change this rapidly. And a lot of the changes that we ended up making this year, they fall in line with our planning, our trajectory planning that I've worked with, with our board for the next five, 10 years. Um, we just did things a little faster than we would have intended to if things were normal. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Courtney, we're about out of time. Um, I'm glad you'd be on the, you could be on the show. Before we go, every one of my guests is doing a speed round of questions. So okay. Are you ready? Sure. First question, iPhone or Android? iPhone. Excellent. Corn dogs or a turkey leg? Corn dogs. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. Favorite concert you ever attended? Mm, uh, Rush, the Clockwork Angels tour in 2012. Oh, she even remembers the year. Excellent. What's your favorite ride at the fair? The zipper. The zipper and first celebrity crush. Oh, oh she's <laughs> blushing. Y'all uh, um, listening on the that. podcast. She's blushing right now. <laughs> Nobody needs to know that. Uh, it's Uncle Jesse Full House. It's every girl's first crush. Of course. I mean, John Stamos back in the day. I mean. Yesterday, today, forever. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, no, no, no. This isn't fair. Who's, who was your I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? Who was my, your first celebrity crush? My first celebrity crush and still celebrity crush is Danica McKellar. Winnie Cooper. Okay. Winnie Cooper from The Wonder Years. And at, <laughs> I think she's oh, 45 right now and she looks better than ever. She absolutely, Perfect. I want, I need to know what's, what she's drinking and what is in her water. Cause <laughs> it's, she, she looks fantastic at 45. Uh, Courtney, if folks want to reach out to you and um, talk to things, talk with you about things you did surrounding your fair this year. Where can they reach you? 
Absolutely. You guys can reach me at the Wyoming State Fair. Our office number is 307-358-2398. And my email is Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-Y dot Conkle, C-O-N-K-L-E at W-Y-O.gov. Um, I'm not saying we did everything right, but we have a lot that we've learned and we are more than happy to share anything and everything that we've learned that we've created and just also kind of commiserate with you as you go through the process of trying to put on a fair in the midst of all of this. Absolutely. Uh, Courtney, listen, I admire your tenacity and your courage for how you handled 2020. I think you're a real asset to the, uh, the fair industry and I wish you all the best. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.